hope you all are well. Alhamdulillah, it's great to be back. I think I came to Drexel, I, I doubt, I, I think it might have been six, seven years ago, so I don't. Was anyone here when I came to Drexel? Oh, okay. Y'all have moved on at this point, right? So it's about six, seven years ago, probably. Alhamdulillah, I mean, it was one of the most memorable uh, trips that I had, and um, it's a blessing to be with you here. And I know that in settings like this, Q&A is far more valuable. Uh, so I won't speak for too long. Inshallah, I'll offer some remarks on this concept that I hope will be a little bit different or at least enriching to what you already have heard about when it comes to sabr, when it comes to patience, and when it comes to this, this beautiful ayah or two ayahs in the Qur'an. Verily with difficulty comes ease, verily with difficulty comes ease. Now, I'm just going to take a show of hands. I mean, how many of you feel like the khutbas and the lectures in the last two years have revolved around this concept? Have you all heard a lot of khutbas about difficulty? Yeah? Okay. One of the things that I see with this discourse is that a lot of this comes down to whether or not you're going to apply some of these basic concepts from the Prophet in regards to how to show sabr. You know, if you think about it, at the end of the day, when you're talking to someone that's going through a hardship, it's a lot easier for you to find the words to give to them than it is for you to actually express them in a heartfelt way when you're in the midst of a difficulty. And that's why, subhanAllah, the, the, the blessing of simply saying Alhamdulillah, the blessing of simply praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, saying Alhamdulillah, when you are in difficulty, is in and of itself enough to build you a home in paradise. It's not this long prayer that you have to say. It's not something that's elaborate or comprehensive. It is one phrase in the midst of difficulty that at the first strike, in the sadmat al-ula, to say Alhamdulillah is enough to have a home built in paradise called the house of praise, alhamdulillah. You don't have to do much more, right? It's not complicated. You don't have to sit there and think about what you, uh, what you remember. And you know, it was really interesting when I think about how simple that is and how beautiful it is. I had a friend of mine who was in a really bad car accident. And this is what I think about when I think of this hadith and the simplicity of it. Uh, and in the midst of this car accident, when they got to him, they started asking, they said, what's your phone number? And he couldn't remember his phone number, right? Or a phone number of, of uh, a family member or a friend, right? When you're in the midst of it, there's a level of shock, right? And he said, the only thing I kept on saying was, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. So I forgot my phone number. I forgot my phone number, but I didn't forget Alhamdulillah. Because the believer is so accustomed to constant hamd, to constantly saying Alhamdulillah, thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you hope that when the test comes, that that will be your natural first instinct. But in order for it to be your natural first instinct, it has to be your regular habit. The same thing as this dream that we all have, that Allah takes us saying what? What do you want to be saying when you die? La ilaha illallah. See, all of y'all said it. You want death to get to you while you are saying la ilaha illallah. May Allah give us all that ability to say la ilaha illallah at the time of death. May Allah make it our last words on our tongue and in our heart. You're not suddenly going to come up with la ilaha illallah if it wasn't a regular dhikr. 
You know, if, if you think about the Prophet ﷺ, when he says, keep your tongue moist, keep your mouth moist with La ilaha illallah. Keep your mouth moist with La ilaha illallah. Right? As a form of remembrance. What a blessing from the Prophet ﷺ to teach us something so simple, yet so profound. Because if you are accustomed, if you train your tongue to while, when you are walking from place to place, walking to class, going somewhere else, you're saying, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah constantly moving your tongue with it, then when that moment comes to you of death, whether it is sudden or if it is at the end of a long extended trial, La ilaha illallah will be natural for you because you've made it a habit to constantly say La ilaha illallah. So it's very simple things with huge rewards. To say Alhamdulillah at the time of musibah, at the time of tragedy guarantees you what? A house of praise in paradise. To say La ilaha illallah at the time of death guarantees you entrance into paradise because the Prophet said, whoever dies and La ilaha illallah is their last words, dakhla al jannah, you will enter into paradise. That's why Allah doesn't give it to anybody. It's a special gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to you. What Muslim doesn't know, Alhamdulillah and La ilaha illallah? We all know it. You could talk to a Muslim that is thoroughly educated and deep in the faith, or you could talk to a very simple Muslim that lives somewhere in the third world in a desert cut off from people. What Muslim doesn't know to say Alhamdulillah for good things and Alhamdulillah in times of patience and La ilaha illallah at all times. Every Muslim knows that. So Allah is not giving us a difficult equation here. It's whether or not you can bring yourself to actually say it in the moment. Now, uh, I gave a khutbah about this a few weeks ago. Sabr, the short term of sabr and the sadmat al-ula the first strike is to say Alhamdulillah. The long-term determination of patience is whether or not you're making progress in your relationship to Allah. The long-term is whether or not you're making progress in your relationship to Allah. So are you succeeding in the short-term? Did you say Alhamdulillah when it happened? Or did you shout out a bunch of you know curse words or say a bunch of things you shouldn't have said? And then when you cooled down, you said Alhamdulillah. The long-term of it is measure your patience by your progress. That's the long-term. Okay, now I want to come back to this ayah. Inna ma'al usri yusra. I was thinking about this ayah as much as I could. What's an angle? What's something that we can extract from it that is not already obvious from the ayah itself? That verily with hardship comes ease or with difficulty comes ease. Verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it twice, right? He repeats it. With hardship comes ease. I can't tell you how many times I've been invited to give a khutbah or a lecture at a university and they said, what's your topic? I said, what's your topic? What's my topic? With hardship comes ease, all right? No offense to the director, I'm going to say. You guys could have been a little bit more creative here. <laughs> but uh, in reality though, the Quran as a whole offers us an opportunity for infinite reflection. Like you don't stop reflecting on the Quran. You don't stop extracting gems from the Quran. So there's actually beauty in the fact that these few phrases stick with us because they become part of the ethos of the Muslims. This becomes who we are. With hardship comes ease. In the matter of yusra, in the matter of yusra. So what does this refer to? The word usr is a very interesting word, all right? Difficulty, usr is a very different, different word. And of course, in the Arabic language, uh, you have such a rich you know, spectrum of words to define seemingly a singular concept that each one of them offers you a lot of benefit. And so there's the word mashaqqa, mashaqqa. And mashaqqa 
typically the scholars uh, say of, of, the, of language that it refers to very tangible pain, very tangible pain, okay? Something where there's a wound or there is a quantifiable loss of something uh, or difficulty, you know, sweat, blood, all of that. Mashaqqa typically refers to something very tangible, all right? Usur is a state, a state of difficulty. And so it covers more and it refers perhaps to some of the things that aren't as easily identifiable. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions um, about the day of judgment, yawmun uh, asir, a day of great difficulty for the wicked, for the disbelievers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions some of the scholars mentioned in terms of divorce, all right, and going through that and everything that it covers in that regard. So usur, and, and by the way, this is very interesting because Allah also talks about people in debt, people in debt through usr, a person that's in a state of difficulty. And some of the scholars mentioned that uh, one of the benefits of that is that, uh, you know, when a person is in debt, it's not just the debt itself, right? Not just the, the dollar amount that is causing them difficulty, but there's a lot of stress that comes from it that is really deeper than that. And that's why Prophet Sallallahu used to seek refuge in Allah from debt and taught us to seek refuge in Allah from debt. Because like, it's not just a matter of, I need to pay this off in a certain amount of time, right? What it brings, what it induces of difficulty is, is great, right? So Usur typically refers to a state of difficulty and it could be an overwhelming state of difficulty. You know, when especially the hardest moments, Sa'atul Usra, by the way, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala referred to it in Tabuk, you know, that, that hour of great difficulty where it just consumes every part of you, right? One of the things about being in that state is that you're not rational. You are not rational, right? And it's actually important to understand that. Like someone comes to me in the midst of great difficulty and they're asking me to explain something to them. I'm like, look, in the midst of, you're not going to accept a rational answer. What would be much more helpful is for me to remind you of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to give you words of comfort, but you're not gonna clarify deep concepts when you're in the midst of deep trauma. It just doesn't work that way because it sort of overwhelms your senses. It overwhelms you in every way. After this talk, I'm sure some of you will come up and ask questions that are very difficult. May Allah help you. I'm not saying that I won't listen to your question. All right, and then I'm not interested in hearing about your pain. I'm just saying that you have to also understand that this is not, you don't have a rational problem. And so a rational answer is not going to solve you know, your, your, your sudden crisis and worldview. This is not going to happen. When you're in the midst of it, it is hard for you to see a way out. It's one of the, that's one of the things about it. You know, subhanAllah, as, as believers, if you realize how much emphasis there is in the Quran on vision beyond the immediate eyesight, right? The idea of belief in al-ghayb, alladhina yu'minuna bil-ghayb, those who believe in the unseen. Part of the unseen is qada and qadr. Right? The divine decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The same way you can't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The same way that you can't see the day of judgment. You can't see the workings of Qadr. You can't see the workings of that divine decree. And so it's not the mechanics of the divine decree that's the problem. It's your ability to trust the whole idea, the divine himself in his decree. Not to question the, the, the mechanics of it or try to get an understanding. It's, it's just not going to work. You have to put your faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you have to affirm that. That's why Ibn Abbas said that whoever 
uh, affirms their faith in divine decree has established their tawhid, their idea of the belief in one God. If you lose that, your tawhid is destroyed. You're going to destroy your, your belief in God as a whole. It's all going to come falling apart. And so it's not a rational response. It is reaffirming your trust in the one who knows what you don't know. Reaffirming your trust in the one who understands what you, what you don't understand. Reaffirming your trust and acknowledging your limitations to the one who has no limitations, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So that's, that's actually what the usul is. You cannot see past it. And sometimes, maybe while in the moment we won't fully admit it, uh, it, is, it is a profound short word of wisdom that sort of wakes us up and helps us keep perspective. You know, it is someone putting their, their hand on your shoulder saying, hey, look, you're going to get through this, inshallah, okay? <laughs> I love you, and I know you, and I know you can do this. It's like, it, that's not really profound, but maybe it helps. Maybe it's because you trust the sincerity of the person that's saying it. Maybe, and I remember, and I'm not, I'm not going to veer into psychology here, because I'm sure that there are people here that are uh, actually experts in the field, but, you know, uh, I remember reading a book on counseling, because that's what we had to do. When you're an imam, you got to know how to change light bulbs. You got to know how to counsel people. You got to know how to like everything, right? Everything in between, right? So I'm like in, in the masjid, okay, now you got to do all these different things. So what, I, what did I have to do? I had to read a bunch of books on counseling. And one of the things is like when you're talking to someone, sometimes when they're not so certain, they will draw their strength from your certainty as you're talking to them. Right? So maybe they're trying to tell themselves on the inside, like, I'm going to make it through this, but there's a, there's a doubt there. But when you're saying, hey, you're going to get through this. I believe in you. I know you. Allah has a plan. And you say it with certainty. They might draw as a recipient from your certainty. That actually might be what affirms them in the moment. Okay? And so that's the value of nasiha. That's the value of advice. It's the value of being with someone. Uh, to walk with your brother in their time of need. That's the value of that. Because sometimes it's that the certainty in your voice that actually is going to give them the voice that they need on the inside. But when you're in it, you can't see past it. You know, someone's in a really, really bad relationship, messy, messy breakup, you know, thought I was going to marry this person. It's not working out. And I, I now see it slipping away or, you know, maybe even a divorce itself. Like I can't see happiness after this because the greatest happiness I think I experienced up until this point was when this was at a high, right? When this was going in a certain direction. And so now, it's like you're taking away any notion or any possibility of happiness from me. Now, as a guy on the other side that's seen people recover from bad relationships and seen people recover from divorces that didn't know they're, you know, on that side, I can be like, you're going to be okay. <laughs> Look, inshallah, you're going to be okay. But that person's like, but I can't live without her. I can't live without him. I'm like, yeah, you're going to live. You're going to be okay. Seriously, I've, I've done it enough times to tell you, you're going to be fine, inshallah. Is it going to hurt sometimes? Yeah, but you'll be fine. Allah has created us, not just with, with immense capacity of patience, but also immense, the immense capacity to recover. Recovery is part of the sabr that Allah put inside of us, the possibility of recovery Allah put inside of us. It's actually remarkable. It's a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.